Welcome to Please Print This. This is episode three, The Working Forest. This is Christina Honkinen, producer. And I'm Matt Honkinen, producer and audio engineer. In episode one, we talked about the misconceptions of forestry with Howard Lawley and started to peel back the many layers of our own understanding of this industry. In today's episode, we're taking a look at working forests with someone who's managed one for decades, Dr. John Bembry. Dr. Bembry manages over 2,200 acres of longleaf pine outside of Atlanta. He's about two and a half hours southeast of the city. And is committed to doing it sustainably. Let's dig into our conversation with co-producer Amy Adams, Dr. Bembry, Christina, and myself. Quick disclaimer, we recorded the following interview using Google Meet because we're still in a pandemic. So please excuse any internet pops or glitches. If you could just kind of start with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into forestry. Well, I'm a, I'm a native of Pulaski County, Georgia. That's in South Central Georgia. And, and um, I came, came back to a family farm after I finished my veterinary school career. I went to University of Georgia, undergraduate and vet school. Did not knowing that I'd have an opportunity to return home when I finished, but the opportunity arose. So I came home. My family has been in this community for a couple hundred years, actually. And the farm had been primarily more of an agricultural operation, cotton and peanuts, corn over the years, with some woodlands on the periphery that were, you know, not well managed, but were there for kind of an ancillary income source over the years. Having a veterinary practice pretty well occupied my my time on, on a professional basis, but I did have, the, I guess you could say, the obligation and duty and, and the desire to help manage the family farm. And as I did that, I realized I wouldn't have the time nor expertise to, to get into row crop agriculture. And I did a little bit of managing livestock on the farm, but, but more and more became interested in forestry and, and enhancing the forestry assets that were already here. In doing so, along came a program through the FSA, through the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Farm Services Agency, called the Conservation Reserve Program. And and that program allowed you to apply for grants to put that less desirable ag land into, into trees and to be paid for it while the trees were growing. And it made just a great fit for my time I, I had allocated for managing the farm as well as the desire I'd always had for enhancing the environment. So, Is that a big transition to move from being primarily agriculture into forestry? Not really. I mean, good stewardship of the land can be practiced in, in both instances. The difference being that, you know, agriculture nowadays is becoming more and more intensive, while conservation practices are certainly beneficial and more and more utilized in, in row crop agriculture. The same principles apply to both. So about how much land now do you harvest? In total, it's about 2,200 acres and, and about 400 acres still remains in, in row crop agriculture. The rest is in ponds or wetlands or managed timberlands. 
how do you describe tree farming to people? The public might assume that tree farming is, is nothing but plowing a furrow and putting putting seedlings in that furrow and and then coming back and cutting them all. But sustainable forestry is a is a continuum that involves much more than the than the beginning and the end. It's, it's what's in the middle that, that makes the difference. It's it's the man, it's managing the forest for all of the assets that it provides for the soil protection, for the erosion prevention, for insect control. Uh, one of the biggest things is control of invasive species, non-native species. If I left this land alone and not to blame former generations for not not, not eradicating these things already, but kudzu and privet and china berry would just they take over. I mean, certainly not entirely, but but it's the things that are manageable that I feel like the good Lord gave us a garden that he intended us to prune and to weed and to manage, to control understory so that we prevent wildfires, to use fire in a controlled manner to help control some of those invasives. When you say farm, it just conjures the image of, as I said, plowed dirt and, and nothing but monoculture. And, and yes, we do have some some areas that are focused in monoculture. But in this part of the state, in this part of the southeast, we're in the upper part of the coastal plain of Georgia. The original stands of trees that were here were longleaf pine, which had an open understory, just like a park where there was wire grass and bunch grasses. And yeah, it was pretty much a, it was a monoculture, but a very ecologically diverse. Mon- the trees may have been primarily all longleaf pine, but, but all of the supporting and sustaining biology around them was was one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. I feel like I'm starting to understand what a big ask tree farming is, right? It's not just grow this tree and cut it down. I think, too, that it starts to help us understand the type of individual that's required in order to tree farm successfully to forest successfully. To me, it seems like it must be somebody who's either been taught this since they were a child or is very much dedicated to ensuring the safety and protection of their land long term. And I don't know where that comes from, but you certainly, it has to be something that is compelling for you as an individual or as a family. Let's dig back in. And you've already touched on this a lot in in detail, but could you break down the cycle? If we're thinking about, you know, sustainable harvesting of trees, what's that process look like? It depends on the on, on the part of the farm where, where the trees are. In some areas, I, I doubt there'll ever be a complete starting over and, and a clear ground where we're starting over, except those lands that were originally in cropland. And and in those cases as I'm doing this year, actually, we, this crop year, this planting season, we planted about 130 acres of longleaf, and it was on land that originally had been ag land. It will involve managing those trees up until they're about 10, 12 years old, but they'll be managed with prescribed fire under them from up until about that age. At at about 15 years, we'll probably start harvesting pine straw from under those trees, which is a, a manner of deriving some economic benefit for the uh, expense that's incurred. At about 20, 
22 years, those trees will be thinned because the, the canopy will have closed and, and they'll be competing. And the less desirable trees will be will be cut out selectively. And that, that would go for, for pulpwood or, or small diameter, what's called chip and saw framing lumber. The uh, remainder will be continue to be managed, usually with prescribed fire and, and monitored for disease control and invasive prevention. Another harvest usually would be done at, at about 30 years where we take out some of the, still some of the less desirable trees. That will leave even more of an, an open understory, which is better for wildlife management and other benefits. If that is determined to be suitable for a total harvest, that would occur probably about 40 to 45, 50 years and then start that cycle over. In a lot of cases, especially with longleaf, you can practice natural regeneration under that final stand where the uh, seeds from those, those trees are regenerating a new crop underneath and actually never have to totally clear cut that forest. But it, as I said, it varies on our farm. Part of it, we, we may manage by a total clear cut harvest at the end of a 40 year cycle. Uh, other, other areas we'll manage with natural regeneration and some is kind of a, a little mixture of both. What do you do and can you do to essentially protect that investment? Only recently has standing timber been been feasible to be insured with commercial insurance products. I currently have not gone too far into into the viability of, of insurance on, on timber stands. It, it it requires a lot of inventory and a lot of paperwork to verify the stand and so forth. But the other variables that, that, that we can control is I utilize the forest. I'm not a professional forester. I'm not a trained registered forester. Uh, I should have pointed that out at, at the beginning. And I realized the benefit of professional guidance. And I utilize forest consulting service and on a regular basis. And, and also have both partnerships. We have forest management plans, which have been produced by forestry professionals. We follow those management plans and, and, and their on-site visits include, you know, monitoring for disease control, for insect infestations, for invasives, things of that nature. The variables that we can control, I utilize professionals to help me assess those challenges and address them. What would have happened or what would happen to your land if it wasn't ever harvested for trees particularly? <laughs> Oh goodness, that that does open a big a, a big issue in my mind. And again, I I may have mentioned earlier, and it's almost I almost feel uh, responsibility of managing the land that it's that it's um, divinely inspired. Yes, the deeds at the courthouse show that that I and my family are the registered owners of this land. But I, I just I feel like I have a, an ethical obligation to this land. To leave it in a better, in a better care, in better condition than when I began to to take care of it. I, to me, I, to see erosion on the land, I mean, is 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 just a, a violation of what of what God intended in my, in my mind. I mean, obviously there are areas that, that that it occurs naturally, and that will always be the case. But where I can manage it and and intervene and 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 make something good out of and something productive out of what was not previously productive is is, is all for the better. And as I said earlier, kudzu uh, 
um, privet, the, the things that, that are so opportunistic. Without management and intervention, uh, yeah, you can just let the land go. You, you can let it go. And, and you know, the, the kind of wildfires that we see, uh, good gracious, I, I think California has been a, an example of what unmanaged lands can, can produce. Uh, I'm, obviously, they have different environmental challenges there, but uh, to steward it and to and to try and anticipate the challenges that, that, that could decimate the land and, and deal with them, I think I, as well as most other uh, sustainable tree farm managers, envision is just, is just an obligation and, and one which we enjoy taking on and in managing the land, not just for the wood that it produced, but for all the ancillary benefits. The the beauty when you ride down the road and see a, a managed forest, the, the water that's more pure when it's filtered through the forest floor as opposed to running down a, a dirt ditch or the air that's this purified, the, the oxygen that's coming off of those trees. Uh, the wildlife, the, the benefits that we see, you know, you walk out and listen, listen to the birds. We have a, we have, this is the area of the state, uh, the southeast, where we have uh, bob white quail that are beginning a great resurgence. We have quail, we have deer, wild turkey, you name it. It's just a, it's just a, a wildlife oasis on, on our farm. And, and, and I love that. I used to be an avid, hunter and fisherman and I, I still do a little bit. But I the more the older I got, the more I enjoyed taking care of the land for those species as opposed to the it wasn't so much the harvest as it was the as I said earlier, the in between, seeing the, the benefits of the of the forest providing a great home for for, for all of those all of those reasons. I could hear in your voice sort of a shift from when you came back from veterinarian school and you had suddenly, or, you know, taking over the family farm to now where it's something that you've become really passionate about. How did that, I guess my question is, how did that shift happen? When did you see that, that transition? Because you obviously, the farm being in your family since 1807, it's been around you forever, but you've grown to appreciate it in a different way, it seems. Well, I, somewhat. I, I grew up in the seventies, and 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 y'all probably <laughs> were not here then. But uh, it was a it was an era when there was a lot of change, and 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 hippies were not all bad. And I was not a hippie, I have to admit, but I was environmentally concerned, uh, even even as an adolescent, and especially in my college years. I can remember thinking when I'd go to a fast food place, I wouldn't get one napkin because I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to destroy a tree, and I remain to this day very environmentally concerned. Uh, I've, I've been involved with uh, the Georgia Conservancy, the Nature Conservancy, Osmaha River Keeper in our area. I mean, countless uh, environmental organizations. And but for years, I, I wondered why it is that forestry people and environmental people are not singing out of the same hymn book. The more I started getting into managing forests, I realized it was okay to get two napkins. That, you know, trees are, are, are God's gift to us to be managed. And, and without a, a financial return on managing that forest, private landowners can't afford to, to own the land for forestry. And it'll be converted into a different use. And 
it, it just seemed to me such a logical progression to 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 mature in my environmental ethic at the same time I matured in my forestry sustainable forestry ethic and and meld the two together This is such an aha moment for me because I have grown up with this understanding that environmental and economical are not the same. They are opposite ends of the spectrum. You either are a corporate money grabber or you love and protect the earth. And this to me is so powerful in my own understanding of the way things work that by showing that this forest and this land is an economic benefit to the state that it's in, you are protecting it from becoming a Walmart. You're protecting it from becoming a parking lot. Yeah, this is the first time that I think we are starting to better understand why the economic incentive is so important and that without it, you won't have a reason to protect the land the way we are able to through this industry. Let's dig back in. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with, I don't know if you want to call it the opposition or people who may not understand why, or, or maybe frankly, just disagree with uh, harvesting land. Let me say this, economic benefits are not my primary motiva- motivation. Now that's not to say I'm, I'm independently wealthy by any means, but the land has to be sustainable, both economically as well as, as I've said earlier, environmentally. And to make the land sustainable economically, I utilize every aspect that is environmentally appropriate to make it sustainable. I mentioned earlier utilizing some of the conservation programs through the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and I utilize, I won't go into all of the programs that are available, but there are a number, many of which are very good for environmental habitat improvement and support. The way he's talking about this tells us that options to conserve land are multifaceted. Yeah, I've got a sneaking suspicion we'll be digging deeper into this at a later date. But to maintain the economic viability, we not only the government government cost support programs, we 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 lease the land, the hunting and fishing rights on the land for the economic income it provides. I mentioned earlier, we harvest pine straw from under some of the longleaf on on the farm. And I, I, amazingly, pine straw had become a, a, a big economic factor in, in our forestry operation. And thank goodness it has, because uh, y'all probably don't realize this, but saw timber prices today are less than one half of what they were 40 years ago. Now, how many other things do you know of commodities that are worth half of what they were 40 years ago to the producer? So... Uh, it becomes an absolute economic necessity to utilize every aspect of income to uh, support sustainable forestry. That's what makes it sustainable. Uh, another another tool that I use is, is part of the farm has been put in what's called a conservation easement. 
that's not where we've given up ownership of the land, but it's where we've deeded the development rights on the land away. And and in our case, we we gave it to the state of Georgia, to the Georgia Forestry Commission. And that land, by definition, in perpetuity will be, and by deed assignment, it will be maintained in perpetuity in, in, far, in managed sustainable forestry. We did get tax benefits, which were significant for that donation. But again, the state and, and, the, and the public as a whole gained lands, and in our case, it's about 300, 400 acres that is going to remain producing clean air, clean water, and, and healthy wildlife from now on. And I, I'm very proud of that. And again, while it's doing that, I can still manage the forest and gain the other economic inputs that, that are necessary for, uh, for maintenance of the farm. Dr. Bembry, hearing you say that makes me think that's the same goal that the environmentalist side has, is that these, Ex- these lands maintain their protected state and they're not developed into apartments and they're not turned into, you know, Walmarts and things like that. It, it, do, do you think that there's an education barrier between what you know and what the general public knows absolutely and and it's and it's it's so sad that 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 and i certainly i'm not the best one to uh, convey the message there there are others that, that that can do it better but if by hosting someone to come right around the farm and let me show them what's involved in sustainable forestry i'd be delighted to do that but you can't take the whole population of Atlanta and bring them down here and ride them around. There's got to be a more professional approach to um, to, to that education and outreach. I, and I want to insert a little personal, you know, y'all, you, you hit about what made me tick or what made me develop in my environmental ethic as well as my forestry ethic. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a man named Aldo Leopold who wrote a a book back in the 30s and 40s called A Sand County Almanac. And if more people could read some of the quotes from uh, Aldo Leopold, his whole motive and background was was to enhance what he called a land ethic. And that is that, that man is not to conquer nature, but is merely a part of it and that they should coincide and be mutually beneficial. And if anything could could define my way of appreciating forestry and the environment, it's it's the writings of Aldo Leopold. The book that Dr. Bembry references is called A Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. So we have homework now. Please Print This was developed by HL Strategy in partnership with Pitchwire. Today's episode was put together by producer Amy Adams, producer Christina Honkinen, and producer and editor Matt Honkinen. 